The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and participants during this episode are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the American College of Physicians, the editors of Annals of Internal Medicine, or the institutions that the speakers are affiliated with unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Something that is unique in the genetic testing context today, which is the knowledge that our test results are highly likely to change over time. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled, Cases in Precision Medicine, Is There an Obligation to Return Reinterpreted Genetic Results to Former Patients? Joining us on the podcast is Dr. Paul Applebaum, who is the Dollard Professor of Psychiatry, Medicine, and Law at Columbia University College of Physicians. He's also the Director of the Center for Law, Ethics, and Psychiatry, and the Center for Research on Ethical, Legal, and Social Implications of Psychiatric, Neurologic, and Behavioral Genetics. We hope that you will learn quite a bit on this podcast, and thank you for listening. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the podcast, Paul. I was intrigued by uh, your precision medicine piece because I never thought of the problem. And so, I think the best thing to do is for you to tell our audience what's the problem and why is it a conundrum? Sure. So we we set up the article uh, that appeared in the Annals of Internal Medicine with a case, which was a hypothetical case, but a very real situation that is occurring and will increasingly occur over time. It was the case of a woman who had a family history of breast cancer who was being tested for known pathogenic variants in the BRCA1 and 2 genes and who received a report saying that there were no pathogenic variants detected, uh, although uh, there was evidence of at least one variant of uncertain significance meaning couldn't give her a clean bill of health on that, but but also couldn't definitively link it to a pathogenic process. She stays around in the internist practice for another year and then moves to another part of the country, is no longer seeing him. Two years after that, he receives an updated test report uh, from the laboratory that did the genetic testing, which reinterprets one of her variants as, uh, in fact, now pathogenic and likely to confer a substantial lifetime risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and and other cancer syndromes that are associated with uh, BRCA. And the physician is faced with a 
question at this point. Patient is no longer in the practice, hasn't been seen for several years. What does the physician do? Is there an obligation to do anything? If so, how can that obligation be discharged? And what would the consequences potentially be of failing to do so? Because laboratories, genetic testing laboratories are increasingly uh, on their own adopting a practice of periodic reinterpretation of test results, particularly variants of uncertain significance, which can account for more than a third of, uh, of variants in many cancer tests, because they're increasingly reinterpreting uh, such information when new data become available, this scenario is going to become more common for physicians in all specialties, but, but uh, I would think particularly in internal medicine. I had never even thought that this was a problem. And so just knowing that this potential problem is useful information. Now we have to start thinking about your example is cancer, but their uh, cardiology does genetic testing rheumatology does genetic testing. So I think that this is only going to get to be a more common issue over time. In that hypothetical case, is there any legal responsibility if the patient has left your practice and not left forwarding address? Does the physician, and it could be it could be an internist, it could be an oncologist. A lot of a lot of these tests are done by oncologists. Some of these tests are done by surgeons. Does that physician have a legal responsibility to do to hire a detective to find out where the patient went? Yeah, so our team included uh, a health law expert, Jessica Roberts, who's at the University of, of Houston Law Center. Uh, and one of the things we undertook as part of this the bigger project uh, of which this is part was a review of case law statutes and regulations to answer the question as to where the law stood on this issue, since for many physicians, that's the first question that they want an answer to. What are my legal obligations here? And of course, that's not unimportant. The answer to the question, though, turned out to be less than clear, which is to say there's very little law, very little case law, very few cases that have been decided addressing the question of an obligation to former patients. To the extent that such case law exists, it's not uniform. So for example, there are cases looking at the obligation of the physician who's inserted an IUD, which was later found out to have problems uh, that would require its removal to reach out to the former patient to notify her of this situation. Uh, and one court found that a physician had such a responsibility. Another court found that a physician did not. So we're not going to get the answer from the law. We have to look elsewhere is, is really the bottom line. At least we're not getting the answer from the law right now, which is not to discount the possibility that the law may change and become more explicit as this becomes a more common issue. The legal situation is murky. The ethical situation seems a little bit less murky, although still complex. Yeah, I think that's right. So you could point to a number of ethical principles, which are foundational uh, for medical practice, uh, that could be invoked here. Uh, beneficence, the obligation to do 
good for a patient, non-maleficence, not to allow harm to come to a patient, respect for the patient, which involves giving them the information they need to make appropriate healthcare decisions, and also something that is uh, unique in the, or nearly unique in the genetic testing context today, which is the knowledge that our test results are highly likely to change over time. Uh, So, you know, most other blood work that a physician would order comes back with a definitive answer. It's high or it's low or it's uh, within the normal range. But so many variants of uncertain significance are identified in large-scale genetic testing today, large panels or, or exomes, that it is highly likely that things will change, which in itself could constitute something of an obligation to to the patient in the future. Now, all of these principles are routinely applied to the relationship of physician with an existing patient. The question is, should they survive the termination of the relationship, at least to some extent, and if so, in what circumstances? And we argue in the piece that that it, it should, in fact, and we think that accords with the intuitions of most, though clearly not all physicians, that should a revised report of this sort land on their desk, they would make at least some effort to contact their former patient. I think it would be easier to argue that the testing company has an obligation to the patient that when they do the test, they have the information of who the patient is. And now they may not have thought about this problem when when it first started, but now that we understand this problem, there should be a way for the testing company to get back to the patient and say, there's a change you need to talk to your physician about your new test result, which obviously is going to cause a lot of angst for the patient. Or does the patient have a responsibility to make sure that whoever did the test knows where they are in case there's a difference? And I think the problem that I'm struggling with, and I I talked to a few primary care physicians about this before recording, is patients come and patients go for a variety of different reasons, changes in insurance, moving. Is it just the physician's responsibility or is there a joint responsibility of these three parties, the tester, the patient, and the physician, and how do we resolve that? Yeah, I I think there are elements of responsibility that are distributed more broadly than just to the ordering physician who who ordered the genetic test in the first place. The, The laboratory clearly has some obligations here. Those obligations extend to monitoring changes in the interpretation of variants and issuing revised reports when it's clear uh, that new data warrant a revised interpretation. Generally, laboratories, though, are not directly in contact with patients. Lab results come back to the ordering physician or facility, and they probably don't have uh, the people on staff in many cases to interpret the finding for the patient in the context of that patient's mm-hmm. medical care more broadly and counsel them on what the next steps uh, should be. Moreover, there may be regulatory considerations that stop laboratories from directly contacting mm-hmm. patients with, with medical information. So they're part of the answer, but not the whole answer. Patients have a role to play here. I should note that there have been some people who've suggested that uh, patients should 
have the obligation to re-inquire of their physicians periodically whether their test results have been updated. I think it's our feeling that that's an unrealistic burden to impose on patients. Patients may not even remember that they had genetic testing or know that those test results are possibly going to be updated at some point in the future. The person best suited to, uh, to bear that responsibility of, of acting when revised results uh, arrive would appear to be the, the physician. I should also say there's a, a fourth party here, which are the facilities in which many uh, physicians work, whether it's a clinic or, or a hospital uh, system. Uh, and they can facilitate this process by finding contact information for patients and setting up times for uh, physicians to, uh, to reach out to them. I'm glad you brought up the facility because we also have the problem of physicians moving or retiring. It's, it's one thing to pick up an existing patient, but it's another thing to have responsibility for a patient that you never saw that, that was seen in your system or in your practice, which makes it all even more complex. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be uh, something that we're going to have to struggle with uh, for some time to come up with uh, the best solution. Should this influence a informed consent when a patient gets genetic testing uh, that would include uh, the responsibility to uh, leave a forwarding address if, the, if they were to move or go to a different practice? Uh, might that be something that might help physicians in the future? It certainly doesn't help us today because we haven't been doing that. But I'm thinking that, as you said, there's going to be more and more situations like this as we do more and more precision medicine. Yeah, so I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. Uh, there ought to be a routine part of the consent process uh, prior to genetic testing that informs people about the possibility of revised results at some point in the future and the importance of keeping their physician or the facility where they get care uh, apprised of uh, their contact information should that change in the future even if they leave the care of that practice. What has been the response from colleagues about this particular article? And uh, are, are there problems that they've expressed to you or just congratulations on making this problem much more clear and at the forefront of our minds? We've heard a dichotomous set of responses. I think the majority of people who, who we've heard from, uh, which is consistent with some survey data and interview data that we have from, from this larger study that this was part of, the majority of, of people almost look at this as a no-brainer, which is to say, well, of course, if, if this is potentially actionable information that could save my former patient's life, of course, I'll do something. But there are, in our estimate, a minority of physicians who feel differently about it, who are worried about the burden that's being placed on them and how reasonable it is to, to have to reach out to patients in that circumstance and would rather not uh, have that responsibility. And I guess there's there's one more player, and that's the relatives of the person who has a revised genetic test, because as we don't really do genetic testing on a woman with breast cancer to help her, we do it 
to help her daughters, her sisters, her extended family. Yeah. And that gets back to the informed consent process where another routine part should be, and I think increasingly will be, asking patients bluntly, uh, should you no longer be available to receive uh, updated results? Is there someone else you would like to receive them on your behalf, noting that it may have implications for other people in the family? I'm so glad that the way you phrased that, because since we're often dealing with cancers that might be of genetic origin, not every cancer patient is around three years later. More and more they are, but if they're not, who does information go to? And that's I think that, that that there needs to be sort of a information power of attorney, so to speak. Who gets the information if something happens to you? It's a, it is stressful to the patient to have to do that. However, my guess is the women that I've known who've had breast cancer would very much want their daughters and their uh, sisters and their cousins to know. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's right. And and I would just note that our current uh, electronic patient portals could facilitate that process. It could be built into uh, an online process of obtaining consent for uh, genetic testing. Right. It certainly would be nice if we had portals that talk to each other, which is time for a different uh, discussion and debate. Well, Paul, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining us on the podcast and just shining the light on this issue that we should be thinking about. And you have done the most positive thing that anyone can do for me as you made me think. Well, thank you very much. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This most interesting discussion opened my eyes about the problem of reinterpreted genetic test results. Since this will likely become a larger problem, our discussion focused most on the solution which needs to be included in an informed consent form before you order genetic testing. That form would include ways to re-engage the patient if they were to leave your practice or you were to leave your practice, as well as who else is entitled to receive the information. As we become more and more aware of genetic issues in healthcare, paying attention to how to deal with those data is an interesting and yet difficult problem we hope that listening to this podcast gives you more insight in how we might deal with it in the future. Thank you so much for listening. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on call.